Greetings, Troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original Troubled Man for Troubled Times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's happening with you? What's going on, as they say? Uh, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. You know, it feels like there's a there's a, a lighter, uh, a sense of lightness in the country. I don't know if you've noticed it walking around out on the street. <laughs> I don't know. I've gained like eight pounds in the last four weeks, so I, I really okay. don't know. I, I don't <laughs> well, that's, that is that on top of the 35 pounds that you had already put on during uh, lockdown? Oh, no, man. You know, I told you a few months ago, I've gained over 75 pounds. Wow. Okay. And, and still, and, and, and gaining uh, another eight pounds in in the last few weeks. Okay, man. Yeah. um, Well, it's, it's a busy time for me. So basically I work, eat, drink and sleep and I have no time for any other activity, but I feel okay. I feel like this is what I should be doing at my age, you know, gain some weight and, and enjoy my life, you know, eat what I want, you know, I, 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 I went, you know, I'm from Los Angeles where, you know, it's, uh, it's a city where people, uh, people are always, uh, it's entertainment city. So you got to look your best and all that kind of stuff. And right. I'm kind of like, uh, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, like I think around like when he, when he turned like 63 or 65, Jack Nicholson, the great actor, mm-hmm. and uh, he just said, fuck it. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a leading man. People still want me. They want to see me on film. I'm going to let myself go. I don't give a fuck. And that's okay. the way I feel about it in many ways. You know, it's like uh, I've reached an age. You know, I, I have a wife who I've been in love with and, for years, mm-hmm. and and uh my girlfriend finds out that's going to kill me, but, okay. um, but, um, you know, we have a child and, uh, so it's like, she loves me for who I am. And if I want to get fat, let's get fat. Let's get fat together. You know? Okay. Okay. You know, now, you know, I've noticed something this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, leads into something I was thinking about the other day. Um, you know, when we all had our, regular lives and we were going out places on a daily basis and sometimes two or three places everybody was in practice of uh looking presentable you know you'd have your hair fixed every day you know you shave and and dress nice nicely and and so that that repetition of always being presentable kind of kept you in practice and yeah Uh, Yeah. but it feels like since people are they don't have that constant practice some are kind of getting out of practice, you know. I'm, 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 I'm thinking that, you know, it's something if you don't maintain every day, you know, if you let it slip too far, it might be hard to get it back. Well, that's a good point. I mean, uh, the world in which we've lived in the last uh, year, um, it, it is, uh, it is. Uh, uh, how do they say? Um, I mean. People, you know, are used to, you know, for the most part, people are used to a, a regiment, you know, something right. that happens all the time. And then this thing called COVID comes and your regiment is fucked. It's screwed. And, and, and so some people deal with it some ways and some people deal with it the other way. And, you know, some people, 
are, are just freaks. So they, they have to go out and get up every morning at 5.30 in the morning and jog through City Park, you know, sure. for, you know for an hour. You know, <laughs> right. they're just freaks about it, you know. But like, you right. know, but then there are some people who are like, a lot of us who are like, this has like been a fucking, you know, being slapped in the back of the neck kind of thing where it's like, wait a minute. I used to be able to do this and do this and do this and without any problem. And now it's a problem if I do it. So now what do I do? You know? So, um, yes. yeah, I, I feel, you know, for me, I've been fortunate because I've been able to maintain my nine to five job through this whole thing. And, yes. and people like you and our guests have been thrown a monkey wrench. Oh yeah. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, you know, you being both our, you and our guests are, are, are musicians. You're part of the entertainment industry. I just don't understand why you guys aren't doing tons of drugs right now. You guys, <laughs> you guys well, should be just, just be doing drugs. Fuck your families. Fuck, you know, your, your siblings. Fuck everything. You guys should be doing drugs. You know, because you guys have the connections. You're in the entertainment sure. business. You guys have sure. connections. You should just Yeah, be you're thinking it. just just go all in, just go for broke, uh, you know, the, Why not? just like 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 uh like fuck any idea of going back. You know, there is no going back. We just have to uh Well, I think we talked about it last week. I mean, for for you guys, there's really no going back until the fall. To be honest. Right. You know? Right, sure. You know, I mean, you might pick yeah, up a gig. Hopefully yet. then. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. then. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, you know, why not just party well, on? I think, man. yeah, I think maybe the back to that idea of, of how, you know, if you let it slip too far, it might be uh, too hard to, to pull it back. You know, we're all <laughs> well, trying no, to but, maintain whatever we can for the time. No, being, but the thing, no, 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 no. Renee, the thing is, so okay. is that so many people uh, miss you and love you. And, and the ones who don't do drugs, your, your fan base, when you come back, they're not even going to realize or, or, or even fucking care that you were, you know, uh, hooked on smack for the last eight years. <laughs> well, you know, you, know. they are going to just love to see you play again. And you yeah, will have yeah, those the, crowds. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that, man. I'm not sure that that's my best move right now. <laughs> I'm trying to, uh, well, trying to keep it together, you know? Well, yeah, we're all trying to keep it together. Right, right. Well, so now uh, in, in the news, uh, uh, did you watch any of the uh, in, inauguration, the presidential I, inauguration? I have, I have been so busy with my – Right. You know, school started again for all those spoiled, rotten brats that I have to deal with. Um, right. It started again for the spring semester. And, you know, that's this is my busiest time. And yeah. I, um, you know, I've been working nonstop for like the last 10 days. Okay. I haven't had a day. My first day off will be this Saturday. Um, oh, wow. Um, but uh, I did not see much. I did like uh, when I got home and had a, a, some dinner and saw the ki kid and the wife, I did a YouTube, some of it. And the only thing that I thought was uh, uh, I was very uh, – I did see Trump's last little speech before he got on the helicopter <laughs> and, uh, and, and took off. I, I did see that. And, you know, the guy, you know, for his, for all his faults, he's, he can be kind of smart in many ways. He said all the right things because he wants to keep, you know, his, 
his security and all that kind of stuff. And fuck him, let him go. I thought what, what his wife said was bullshit. You know, she speaks like, you know, when she's told to speak and that kind of stuff. But the one thing I did see, and I'm, I, I, I was... I was happy to see uh, our vice president, our first woman vice president, an African-American, mm-hmm. Asian woman, uh, get sworn in. And Joe Biden gets sworn in. I like Joe. Everyone likes Joe. Um, sure. And, uh, and, and, but everyone, the, the most popular person seems to be this, uh, this poet. This poet, yes. yeah. And I saw some of that, and I, you know, I was kind of like, you know what? Uh, she was kind of like one of those... Uh, like uh, parents who are trying to—not uh, parents, but she was one of those kids who was, whose parents were like trying to like prop up big time and stuff. Uh, okay, I don't get poetry to begin with. I really don't get poetry. How can you make a living out of poetry unless you're dead? Um, <laughs> uh, you know. But I did think I did think watching some of the stuff because I've been trying to catch up the last few nights before I pass out. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Lady Gaga's song, uh, God Bless America, was fabulous. I thought, yes. I thought she was fabulous. And she seemed so nervous, you know, because um, she's a New Yorker kid, a New Jersey gal who, you know, who made it big and stuff like that. And to see her on that stage, in fact, you know, it would have been even more brilliant if there were hundreds of thousands of people there. Uh, but right. I thought she I felt thought, the gravity of the moment. Oh yeah, I thought I thought I thought, man, this is it. I mean, she she nailed it for me, and I really don't care for that song too much, but she did a really good job. All right, okay, very good. You know? But uh, other than all the other stuff, I didn't. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say. So uh, a few other uh, related items on, on, the, on the way out of the, uh, the office, uh, Trump, uh, you know, we've been talking about he was he was handing out pardons besides uh, rushing to, to execute prisoners, <laughs> which he, he did. He was handing out pardons. And one of the last ones that that he issued was for Lil Wayne, yeah. New Orleans <laughs> yeah. rapper Lil Wayne. Right. Well. And uh I was actually happy for Lil Wayne to get that pardon, you know, and, and, and there was an article about it in the paper today, and I was kind of drilling down into exactly what Lil Wayne was getting pardoned for. And uh, you, you look back at the original charge, and you think, man, if he wasn't a black rapper, there's no way this guy would have gotten <laughs> this original charge. So the, the, he, he was... He was uh, facing a probation violation for this mm. this uh the the initial charge was was uh weapons or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. like mm. um uh, a handgun had been found uh and when they when they a gold-plated handgun had been found when they when they searched his his uh vehicle uh back a few years ago and uh and and then he reached a plea agreement did 10 months and got out and then had you know a long probation period to to make it through and so uh last year or you know about a 12 months ago he was in miami police it said uh acting on an anonymous tip had searched his private plane <laughs> that, that he was uh that, that he had, had flown into the miami airport now, how many how many people flying private planes have the police come on and search their plane 
Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I someone tipped him off. Some ang- some rival rapper or something like that. Maybe yeah, a disgruntled yeah. girlfriend. Maybe so. Or Maybe like so. That. But I'm happy for him. You know, why not? Why not him? Better sure. than better him than someone who you know milked uh, senior <laughs> citizens. You know, out of their retirements and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes, which he was pardoning other people that had done stuff like that. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, throw but, a little Wayne in there. To but he didn't. He didn't pardon his, himself or his family for some reason. Right. Right. Uh, I don't know the logic. I'm sure we'll, it'll come out. But I'm. You know, I, I I've been so busy this week, and I only seen little bits of pieces of news and stuff like that. Um, but I, I'm just glad we'll move on. And we'll see okay. what happens in the next six months. You know, uh, uh, President Biden. He, he, you know, he seems like a good guy. He, you know, uh, people are afraid that he's going to make us more and more a socialist uh, government and stuff like that. But <laughs> uh, at my age, I, you know, it's just like I just worry about my ch- my kid. You know, what sure. what her future is. My my future has already been written. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> it's, it's it's not too long. It's not, right, not yeah. too much of a yeah. yeah it's a short yeah. throw. Yeah, my future is written, and and uh, I know what to expect. You know, I I expect basically the next twenty years of uh, a slow decline. Yeah, slow decline <laughs> in alcohol related problems. Right, um, right. You know, <laughs> so. But uh, there was something that was in the local news that we talked about a, a, a few weeks ago, I think, with uh, with Corey Ledette. Ledet or Corey, what was his name? Corey? Corey Ledet, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about I don't know if you have this in your notes, but I have it, uh, it scribbled down. The guy, uh, remember there was a guy who got busted or was seen on camera uh, abusing horses? Yes. At yes. City Park and like having yeah, his way horse with lover. Him. Yeah, yeah. A horse lover, not a whisperer, yeah. just basically right, a, yeah, a lover of horses. <laughs> a lover of horses, and he was getting off on it. He was getting right. off on it. Yeah. I, I, I think he saw that. We talked about it about a month ago. Well, anyway, oh, yeah. a, another story came up where um, uh, it was actually in today's news where they're, uh, they think they know who the person is but they want to match his DNA, you know, mm. because they found some DNA on the horses wow. of a human. They found human DNA on a horse, on one of the horses. And, but my thing is, is like, wait a minute, why do you need DNA to match? We talked about this before. The picture of him is so blatant. You can see this so clear. guy. It's so <laughs> yeah. clear. You know who this guy is. I'm sure he's in some kind of database. Right. What do you need to match his DNA for? That's him. That's the guy. But the what the funniest thing is, Renee, about this story, I found out, mm-hmm. is that there was two horses in that stable. And the, it, those horses' stable didn't belong to the NOPD, but one of the horses was privately owned by Sheriff Gusman. Okay. It's, it's one of Gusman's horses, our, our sheriff – who hasn't been allowed to be sheriff in the last nine months because he's totally under investigation, stuff like that. So I just think that's hilarious because I really can't stand Gusman. I just think he's such a jerk. You know? So more bad news for Marlon Gusman. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They won't, they won't give him his jail back because the last time he said anything, it was about three months ago because he's still in an investigation. He said, give me back my jail. Well, what does that mm-hmm. sound like? 
what does that sound like? That sounds like a corrupt fucking asshole. Give me back my jail so I can make my money. Oh, my know? God. Okay. Anyway, what do you, what do you got? Because uh, we got to well, get to our guest, right? Yes, so, yes. Well, the last the last thing uh, that, I, that I had was, again, concerning the, the first day of the new administration. And uh, even on Inauguration Day, they went to work. They had uh, the first press conference. You know, the previous administration had canceled press conferences. I don't know how many months ago. They just they they got tired of telling lies and people calling them on them. So they said, "Well, we're just just not going to have them." So they had the first press conference, and uh, the the new press secretary, Jen Saki. I'm listening, thinking, Jen Saki. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like both of her names are are kind of booze. You know, I'm like watching this first press conference. It's making me thirsty, man. I thought, uh, Jin Saki, wow. Jin Saki, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, well, we got to follow her or him. Or oh, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. She has, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, a woman, redhead, uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of State Department experience. She looks like a real firecracker. I expect big things out of her, especially oh. with that name. Yeah. Well, look, before we get uh, going here, I want to just talk about one thing that's going on. Okay. Um, you know, um, the rush uh, for the vaccine that's been going on in this country, and uh, people are dying every day, and it, it, it's kind of, oh, yeah. it's a sad mm-hmm. thing. But, um, and the rush to uh, inoculate people for the vaccine, I, I, uh, I had this horrible flashback um, to when I was a teenager, I was like 16, 17 years old. And you might not know this about me, Renee, but I was actually part of the, uh, uh, teen Peace Corps group back mm, in no, I, did that. I was, uh, I was in the Peace Corps. Uh, oh. you know, John Kennedy started the Peace Corps in the sixties and, and they offered a, a Peace Corps at my high school for teenagers. And, um, so I joined. I thought I could meet girls or whatever, that kind of stuff. Okay. So um, when I was 16, the summer I was 16, I uh, was in the Peace Corps, and we went to, uh, we went to El Salvador. Wow. And um, a group of us with doctors and nurses and people, and, we, and it was a horrible time in El Salvador because um, there was revolution going on. There was the uh, the junta government that reigned from 1980 to 1992, and they were against the Contras, which was the Marti Party. And uh, I, you know, it was a horrible thing. And the Reagan government banked, uh, backed up the junta government and stuff like that. But I remember, and and it reminds me of the inoculations, is that I remember uh, going going to a village, a small village in El Salvador to, uh, to inoculate the children for polio because they still okay. had polio then. Uh-huh. And um, we had gone to this village to inoculate the children. I was young. I was just, I didn't, I didn't shoot anybody's arm, but anything like that, but it was the doctors, but we'd gone there and I went to play with the children. And, um, we went there. We inoculated the, the children and stuff like that. Then we left the village, and uh, about an hour later, some old man from the village he came uh, screaming and crying, and 
he couldn't say what was going on. So we went back to the village and the junta government, the soldiers, had come and they had, not, and they had chopped off every inoculated arm. They mm. just chopped them off. And it, they, were, they were just in a pile of little arms. And uh, it was... <laughs> okay, well, Manny, well, that is a well, good no, story. No, no, but... no. Well, okay. well, listen, listen. Uh, there they were in a pile of little arms. And I thought to myself, you know, I cried and I wept. I was 16 years old. I cried and I wept. And I thought to myself, this is awful. But then, but then, like I was shot, like, like I was shot with a diamond bullet through my forehead. I thought to myself, my God, my goodness, the genius of that, the will to do that the strength to do that, you know, and, um, all right, let's go introduce our guests. Well, that is a, that is a great, uh, a great monologue from, uh, Apocalypse Now, man. One, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes from Apocalypse Now delivered by the great Marlon Brando. <laughs> so Manny Chevrolet. <laughs> I was, I was hoping someone would notice it. <laughs> As soon as you started, before you even started the whole thing, <laughs> it up, I, I could see where you were going. <laughs> I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Good. I'm glad there's some moviegoers out there. Oh, man, that's one of my favorite movies, man. I've seen it probably 15 times. It's, 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 okay. it's better every time. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, well done, right. Manny. You are, you are a consummate <laughs> actor. I enjoyed that. Okay. Uh, I guess uh, we should get to our guest. Yes. So, uh, yes, our guest, uh, he's uh, lived in New Orleans for a while. I've played a bunch of music jobs with him over the years. He's uh, originally a Baton Rouge native, uh, terrific drummer, uh, composer, arranger. He uh, operates uh, his, under his own trio name, the Simon Lott Trio, as well as a couple of alter egos. You, you may know him as Diamond Kincaid. You may know him as the Context Killer. But... Uh, Tonight, uh, we're going to call him Simon Lott. So uh, <laughs> welcome, uh, uh, the great Simon Lott. Welcome, Simon. Hey, good to be here with y'all. So, uh, so Simon, you've, you, you've played a lot of straight-ahead jazz gigs, and, but, uh, and, and you're, you're very much in demand for those, but uh, you, you, you have a, a wider palette than that. You're, you, you're doing these, uh, the Diamond Kincaid is, is you playing like, uh, ambient piano kind of uh, context, and then you have the context killer, which is kind of a, a live electronica uh, mm-hmm. with you playing drums and keys and uh, effects and loops. And just on your birthday, which coincided with the uh, the attack on the Capitol, another day yeah. that will live in infamy, uh, January sixth. On your mm-hmm. birthday, you released five hours of new music. <laughs> <laughs> on that day over yeah. two different records under these two different names so uh so tell us about that that huge amount of work there uh well just back in uh around 2007 i started you know getting into home recording and and going beyond the drums and whatnot and and um you know, maybe between the period of uh, 2007 and 2012, did a lot of recording. And then I'd say between about 2013 and now, I've been sort of cataloging 
all those recordings, seeing which ones go with each other or which ones don't go with each other in a go with each other way, like non sequitur mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And, and, um, you know, kind of creating chapters in, in the chronophile. I, I, I sort of uh, got that name from Buckminster Fuller and his whole concept of when he got started of just writing down everything, writing down all his ideas. And that's, that's sort of how I started with just like, okay, if I don't know a lot about this, just keep going and keep doing it. And you, you know, things start to, the, the concepts widen, you know? How old are you, Simon? I'm 39. You're 39 years. Simon Lott. That sounds kind of like a James Bond kind of name. <laughs> My name's I'm Lott. Simon Lott. <laughs> you know. So you're from New Orleans or from greater New Orleans? Where are you from? I'm from Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, funny. This is funny. I have a James Bond story. Okay, cool. Tell it. Yeah, I one day I was going to play a, a music job, so to speak, like a little wedding type thing, jazz thing, and I had and you on fucked the bride. I had I had on a James Bond suit. Okay, <laughs> like you know, very typical, you know, white shirt, black tie, black suit, and I was at uh, I was at the corner uh, where that Mojo Coffee Shop is. It said uh, the one on Magazine. And I and you know that's a pretty mellow little street, right? So I uh-huh. I, I was going to change my shoes real quick and get a cup of coffee before I go to this this little show, this little gig, and and so I'm on the the side of the street where the cars are coming, and uh, so probably not the safest thing to do, but to change your shoes and out the side of my van, you know, and then all of a sudden there's this car coming at me, and I jumped into my van. And and avoided this car from slamming into me, <laughs> and I uh, and it just was comical that I had the the James Bond suit on for that. <laughs> and the reason it happened was because this guy was having a seizure while he was driving, so his foot got stuck on the oh. gas pedal. He's he's flying down. You know, I heard him coming all of a sudden. I was like, "What the hell?" You know, and and. And he's he he slams into this truck who is who is at the stoplight and pushed that truck all the way across the street towards me, and I just jumped in the in the van, got out of the way of that thing, caught my breath, you know, got some coffee and did the show, did the gig. <laughs> right on, unflappable. The show must go on. The show it, must it, go it, on. The music yeah. must continue. Yeah. Nice. So, and when was this? That was maybe five years ago, I'd say. Oh, okay. Are they still yeah. married? What's that? Oh, oh the couple? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. Because every, um, every, every re- wedding reception I've ever been to in my life, I always say to the person next to me, I give it two years. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a they, safe yeah. bet. It's safe yeah, bet. Half yeah, yeah. of all marriages uh, end in divorce. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so Simon, you grew up in Baton Rouge. Yeah. Um, uh, you went to high school in Baton Rouge. I, I know I there's a, a great music high school in Baton Rouge. Did you attend yeah, that? Uh, I did. Bat- Baton Rouge High. I attended two high schools, uh, McKinley High and Baton Rouge High, and uh, they both had great music programs and uh, great teachers. 
that Baton Rouge High, yeah, have turned yeah. out a, a ton of of professional musicians um, over the yeah. years. So they have a they had a great band director for years, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Bobby Campo over at Baton Rouge oh, High. Sure. And, uh, oh, I know uh, Bobby Campo. Mm-hmm. Great trumpeter, and Frank Williams yeah. was over at McKinley. He was also great, and uh, ended up getting him on an album I did when I was sort of getting out of high school and had written you know sort of a blue note styled jazz album Mm -hmm. and so put you know and wrote all the tunes for it and put that out that's in the parking lot of swing a lot of swing yeah i gotta get that on my band camp you know and and actually master it i I never mastered it then because you know who cares about audio when you're in high school right right well it's (laughs) impressive just to put it out at 18 you know to, to put out your first solo record it was it was a good time and and good people and and everyone on it helped to uh, implement it because they wanted to see it happen for me so very thankful to all of them. Nice. Now was yeah. drums your first instrument? Yeah, it was. Maybe played the recorder for a year in school before okay. I played drums, but but that was yeah that was the first instrument. So when you were in high school, when did you start playing with yourself? <laughs> Maybe that was middle school. <laughs> okay. Well, I read that you like to practice, so that's that's good. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's a oh, important yeah, skill. Know or important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know thyself. Know thyself. Know thyself yes. <laughs> um, well, what what attracted you to drums in the first first place, Simon? I I think I think um, I think they just seemed fun, and and uh, I think it was a good outlet, like sort of a visceral outlet you know just just something to put some some frustration into really yeah and um and 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 you know elevate yourself it was it was it just made a lot of sense to me the first time i played the drums and felt really good i wanted to do it forever but as a high school kid are, are you, you want to be a punk rock drummer you want to be a rock and roll drummer or is it I, just I guess I, I mean because you're in high school, I mean, right? No, totally. Well, even middle school, maybe around when I started. I remember us playing like uh, the Zombie by the Cranberries because you know it's like the '90s, so it's like the all mm-hmm. rock thing. And right. um, punk, punk was something that I found later in life, but felt like it was something I was already familiar with by the time I really got to it. Mm-hmm. It uh, completed a lot of the. POV for me. Okay, well, okay. Be- before we went on the air, before yeah. when it was just me and you talking, before Renee came in, you talked about Johnny uh, Vadakovich. Yeah, was he, was he an influence? Uh, Johnny is great. I love Johnny. He's uh, so so fluid, you know, and 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 uh, and groovy. You know, he knows both sides. I love that. Well, you know, he owes me like eighty bucks. I'll <laughs> I'll hit him up after this. Yeah. I'm kind of near his house. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love that. I love that quote that 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 Johnny uh, said on on our podcast, and I'm sure this is something you relate to, uh, yeah. Simon. We were we were asking Johnny about about um, just his his approach to uh, to playing, and and he goes. He, he he like sang uh, like scattered a, b- a bunch of drum stuff 
like that. And he goes, if it feels good in my mouth and it feels good in my body, it's going to come out on the drums. And That's I right. thought that it's so beautiful. I know you play the same way. You have that same. Oh yeah. Yeah. If your body's wrong, it's, it's wrong. It comes out not as good as it could. But it starts off with a, the, the idea in, in, in your, your, your mind and your mouth and, and it, mm-hmm. it flows from there. And the, the drums yes. is just the last thing that, that sort of uh, aids you in, in facilitating that. But mm-hmm. doesn't but doesn't that also uh, uh, you have to uh, deal uh, make the bass player and the other musicians they have to be in one with you right in order yeah to- I think so I think everybody's got to be be on the rhythm uh, the way it needs to be you know because it it can't come all from the drums maybe the drums just have that that sort of final call in certain ways but but when it comes from everybody man that music's real fine nice nice everybody's pushing it you know everybody even the in the horns too you know everybody's just in that rhythm together that nobody's fighting anything that's the best that's the best yep now, um, Simon, your your mother is a musician, correct? So you yeah. grew up in a in a musical household, and she was yeah. a, a symphonic player. Yeah, for sure. And and her father composed and played viola, and my uncle is a violist. And um, yeah, so I was around that music all, all the time. You know, going to those concerts. I feel like it was sort of like a nice incubation sort of period where I just got my listening together and my ears together um, in a kind of instinctual way from just sitting there hearing that kind of music, you know, you start to understand how things are working and the, um, the emotive colors of music and things like that. Right now. So so she must've been hanging around with a lot of other symphony players. You must've kind of grown up in that, that milieu, huh? Yeah, for sure. Because you know, a lot of people think of of symphony players as there's something uh, very kind of dignified about the music, and they may, yeah. may feel like those musicians are kind of stuffy or something. But I've been around a lot of symphony players, and to my knowledge, to my uh, experience, they're just as degenerate as any other. Yeah, <laughs> any I other would musicians. think so. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The- that's that's what it's for the music you know <laughs> yeah and just as marginalized you know you, you get on the the, the elevator yeah. with them and you see up close and you can see everybody's tuxedos kind of held together with safety pins and yeah they're just as sure. broke as every other musician you know they oh they yeah try to dress up nice but it's all just kind of a facade oh definitely yeah it's it's a um that's a tough biz you know especially these days like uh Everything's so in the schools, you know, that's, that's such a, you know, that's funny you said that. Cause I remember doing blow with yo-yo ma. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But, but he had the best stuff yeah. as I recall. Well, yeah, he was <laughs> yo-yo ma, man. Right. And it right. Was at a, it, we were at a McDonald's on the West side of LA, you know, <laughs> but listen, uh, Simon, uh, I'm reading some of your stuff and I'm looking at stuff. You, I mean, you've had gigs since you were 13 years old. You've been playing with people, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Who were some, I mean, are they like, uh, 
name some of these people. Are they famous people from the New uh, Orleans? Um, yeah. yeah. I would. I mean, yeah, I would say that the New Orleans thing sort of started happening for me more when I was sixteen, like uh-huh. playing the funky butt and stuff. And then, so when you're in Baton Rouge, are you driving yeah, to I, New Orleans to play yeah, music? I did a lot of did a lot of driving for sure at, at in those days and throughout college because I stayed in Baton Rouge. I got an English degree from LSU, but I'm I was, sure that's uh, great. Yeah, and but but I was the the one gig that really set me in New Orleans with, was with David Torkinowski and George Porter Jr. Maybe around the time I was eighteen or nineteen or something, and we had a weekly gig over at uh, the Cobalt Hotel, which I don't think is active anymore. But I learned so much on that gig. Mm. You know, David's so hilarious and so blunt, and I'm I'm really thankful he was blunt. You know, like maybe yeah. in the moment it was hard to take, but right now where I'm at and, and even 10 years ago, you know, I, I, you know, you, you change and you realize that these things, um, make your thing a little deeper because someone was willing to just be blatantly honest with things that you were doing and, and just to enrich your view, to widen your view, you know, rather than the, that you're doing this wrong. But I think sometimes people need to kind of feel it like someone's telling them they're doing it wrong so they think about the other things that can happen well that yeah so you're driving from baton rouge to new orleans to do gigs that kind of reminds me renee of uh our former guest uh that other drummer uh doug belote what was his name yeah doug belote yeah, yeah he would drive his dad bought him a uh dr- drum kit when he was a kid and he would say, Dad, I'm going out for a while. And he'd drive all the way to New Orleans and go play a gig in the quarter and have to drive all the way back before 5 a.m. so he can go to school. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and he I was playing. That kind of thing. Yeah. And he was playing with, uh, he was learning from Johnny and other musicians. But. You know, he was doing that constantly. And then finally, I think he got busted by his dad. And his dad was like, ah, oh, fuck it. You're all right. You know, that kind of, that kind of, thing. <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, well, you're doing what you want to do kind of thing. If I remember the well, story he, right. Yeah. Well, and, cause, <laughs> and his dad was a bass player. So his dad was already, you know, kind of uh, clued in with the musician thing. I mean, his dad was a professional musician. So he just wanted to make sure Doug was safe. You know, he totally yeah. understood his passion and drive for uh, towards the music. Yeah. Safe entry into degenerate lifestyle. Right, right, right. <laughs> right, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> but I'm also seeing that your uh, John Bonham from Led Zeppelin was a huge influence. So how does that oh, work yeah. out with your uh, your career? How do you just uh, you, just you know I I love the idea of sort of like cross pollinating the genres and taking a little bit and putting it somewhere else, you know? So. I think I think John Bonham showed me how you know jazz could be a little heavier at times but still not full on fusion you know still like raw and nasty sounding right. but but uh visceral like he was I just I love the visceral thing about Bonham it's just the tones are good and the Max Roach yeah the classic yeah the classic rock bands like Zeppelin and the Who they're 
you know, they always had these albums, live albums, where the drummer would mm. do the solo. Yeah. You know, John Bonham did his solo, Keith, and it would, it'd be like a total track. It would be a, a huge yeah. track on the album. Uh, have you ever done that? Have you ever just done a like a whole track drum solo? You know, definitely. Moby Dick, Moby Dick, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> definitely. Uh, there's it, it comes out on some of those shows, you know, like feels like jazz fest is such a icon- iconic you know it's a time for that iconic drum solo type of thing <laughs> you know like um i was doing i was doing this gig uh so many seven jazz fests or so with the the po boys they're this funk band from boston and we kind of play rock and funk and and type stuff and it always goes there you know people want to want to hear that iconic drum solo thing Right. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I, I mean, love it. I'm that instrument that I ever actually learned a few things on was the drums because I had a mm. kit when I was a kid mm-hmm. uh, when I was around 12 years old, but I sold it for a dime bag. So uh, <laughs> priorities yeah. once again. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Simon, you and I were talking uh, yesterday about about like playing uh, with different kinds of bands and playing yeah. with a variety of different players, and it's kind of like right. like you know d- d- getting into rock. And and, and you were saying uh, I was saying how it 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 really it's applicable to any other style. And you were saying yeah, it's like nutrients. It's like each one of these uh, oh yeah things you yeah. play in kind of contributes the chemicals to the like a field like you're fertilizing a field or it something. is absolutely yeah like uh that's a peter harris concept he great bass player from sure. here and he, he he would always talk about that like you would need to get sort of just into different situations because of what they give you you know you know if you if you play too many background type situations you know jobby job stuff like you need a good show on a stage for like 200 300 people you know to to just sort of get that sort of feeling and and then sometimes you need that little intimate room you know where where you especially with the drums you got to play the room and 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 learn how to make it kind of have some viscerality but but not be too much for the room you know like a little joint like the sidebar or something so you know, and, and just for, it's like varieties of spice of life and, and we all need those different nutrients to make up our thing. It's a good, creates a good balance, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Simon, you're a drummer and we've had a lot of drummers on this show before and, and they are, they always say this one thing. They're the last ones to get laid because they have to pack up all their equipment. Is that true? <laughs> I mean, I think uh, I would say that the drums are, a visceral instrument so someone would maybe wait <laughs> okay <laughs> okay <laughs> all right you go what you know you got all night right okay okay i like it i like it yeah well listen renee my my drink is empty so i i need to go okay. refresh it so simon this is part of the show where we uh tell the trouble nation and they know the drill uh we're gonna go and stop for a few seconds and go refill our drink and we'll be back in a few minutes isn't that right renee that's right all cheers right. all right we'll be right back
back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coman, back with our guest, Mr. Simon Lott. Now, Simon, uh, I'm not sure you're familiar with this product that, uh, that the nation has, has been hearing about from the, from the Troubled Men podcast uh, for a few months now. But, uh, Manny, why don't you go ahead and tell Simon about this terrific product? Simon? Mm-hmm. Are you listening to me, Simon? I'm ready, baby. All right. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about something here. It's called the Velo Bar. V E L O B A R, Velo Bar. Velo Bar. Yes, this is a, a CBD oil protein bar, Simon. Wow. And, and you're young enough to know about all that stuff, the CBD and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's all hip with you kids today, right? Oh, yeah. CBD, yeah. <laughs> well, this is, this is a protein, a CBD bar. Wow. It's kind of like a healthy protein bar that will fill you up and calm you down. And um, it tastes great. It's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. It's a perfect dose. If you're one of those micro dosers, like I, I've met a lot of micro dosers in the mm-hmm. last few months, but this, this is a bar that um, it's fantastic. And I eat them every day. I, yeah. I, I, I eat them like sticks of butter. I do. They're really good. And, uh, you know, it sounds it's, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a plant based <laughs> protein bar made up of healthy superfood ingredients like uh, pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, and chia seeds. It's a stress relief bar. It could be a breakfast bar. It's a good bar to do after a workout or maybe working out mowing your lawn and stuff like that, Simon. Mm-hmm. And I love so non threatening. Yeah, it's it's very non-threatening. And right now, Simon, if you're listening to me, Simon, can you hear me, Simon? I'm with you, baby. I hear you. Okay. okay. If you go to VeloBarCBD.com to order these great tasting bars, and there's two fantastic flavors, the uh, dark chocolate and the peanut mm. butter. Oh, I, wow. I, I find them both fantastic. Yeah, the hot combo, too. Yeah, hot. Oh, yeah, a hot combo. And you can wash it down with pure uh, potato vodka. Um, yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. But right now, Simon, if you go to their, their, their uh, VeloBarCBD.com, if you go right now and place an order, you, Simon, and then the whole nation can get 15% off your order by using the Troubled Men 1-5 promo code. Use that code oh. and you'll get 15% off and – Free shipping, yes. free shipping, and that's a huge thing today. Is, wow. is, oh, yeah. is it all about shipping? Because, I mean, the post office is backed mm. up, the UPS is backed up. I'm backed mm. up right now. I haven't had a movement <laughs> in three days. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but listen, Simon, check out this product. I think you'll dig it, man. It's called Velo Bar, and and there's going to be some. There's going to be some great news in the, in the next few weeks about the Vela Bar, about some new uh, new stuff going on, new products and stuff. And right. uh, check it out. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, so the nation knows about it. It's VeloBarCBD.com. Check it out. All right. And as always, uh, in the Troubled Nation, if you want to support the podcast directly, we have the PayPal link. You can jump on there and, and uh, you know, support our operating expenses for all these terrific guests, all this great content. 
And, uh, you know, we do have the links for the uh, Troubled Men podcast T-shirts if anyone's uh, interested in, in availing themselves of those. Um, okay, well, uh, back to our guest. Now, now, Simon, Mr. Simon Lott, uh, I've noticed the past few years you've started to adopt a more uh, flamboyant kind of androgynous <laughs> style of, of dress. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's kind of kinky, and I really like it. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. And I was going to ask you what's behind all that, but but let me just ask. Uh, besides what's all be- what's behind all that, um, you know, this idea of identity and your yeah. your alter egos, and is, is yeah. that somehow all wrapped up in this? The uh, the so talk about that. Yeah, you could you could say that. Uh, I mean, I feel like the sort of the influence was to sort of. Uh, make the cis male thing more diverse um and like sort of you know david bowie or prince um even though ultimately i mean i think identity is meaningless in a way like because identity should just be more simple level of thinking like there's a person so you just accept who they are but um it's good that the terms are getting out there and changing the way people think and making people aware of certain things. So what does that mean? Cis male? What does that mean? Because I, I, I didn't get the memo on all this LBGQ. So, yeah. Yeah. I it's a, it's a lot. It's so much. Yeah. But, <laughs> I'm still figuring and, it out. Yeah. yeah it, it, I, I think it is sort of a fluid concept and, and um, just uh, the cis male thing would be like your typical, sort of it, the way a, a man is acting like, like a man, a man. Chevrolet type, you know, a man's man. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just sort of like a, a type that's occurred in the, uh, I guess it's like an X, Y axis of where we're at, you know, right. and, and right. so everything's changing and developing. And, um, I, I saw my sort of entry into like a f- more fluid, thing as being oh you know my strength in it would be to diversify the the cis male sort of thing into like oh well you could wear a crop top or you could wear lipstick and it doesn't have to be like a gay thing it doesn't have to be a bi thing it doesn't have to be i mean you know in my head still it's sort of like well this is just what i'm doing you know there's no categorization really but i the point i think that i wanted to make was just to you know normalize that sort of thing beyond its typical uh perception yes to, to broaden yeah. the broaden the the parameters like all, all of yeah. this is, is is within a, a operational uh paradigm yes it's it's uh, yeah it's it's much broader than people realize don't you think rock and roll guys have been doing that since the late definitely 50s? Early seven. So why do they have to put another title on it? Is just a, is this that the day we live in now that everything yeah. has a title? Well, uh, it's 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 like the evolution of terms, and it's always about trying to get us all on the same level, right? So um, I don't know if it always works, but the words change. Why do we need to be on the same level? I don't need to be on the same level as other people. I'm happy with my level, <laughs> right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear you. It's, it's the whole, 
I, you know, the movements exist because people get killed and then, you know, but if people were just leaving everybody alone, you know, letting people be, then there wouldn't have to be all this leveling up. Right. <laughs> right. Know, right. Like, it's something like that, you know, like. Now I was going to ask you if, if, you know, the taking control of, of your own identity. That's kind of what you're doing as I'm saying with these, these alter egos, you know, and, and and so, so the idea of the context killer uh, identity, I love it. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it it was, um, I think, I think it, you know, my friend, we were on a, uh, we went to go play some gigs up North and he was sort of just mumbling, you know, stream of conscious style and uh and he just said context killer and i was like man let me have that man and it just cuz it describes something i was trying to get at you know about about um when you take when you take sort of your frustration and you you mold it into something useful you know like if you upset like maybe you need to move around a little bit like i mean that's definitely my thing like i got to get a little jog in if i'm not you know, it keep, keeps me leveled out, you know, so does playing the drums and so does playing the drums a certain way. And and I think, um, you know, growing up as quote unquote, Simon Lott playing the drums in the, you know, more of a, let's just call it status quo musical environment. Um, the context killer thing allowed me all these gateways into looking at music from less of a monetary centered standpoint. And that was very helpful, <laughs> you know, just yeah. to, it's a, that was a good nutrient for me to tap into, um, to think about what, what kind of it. And I feel sort of e- easy to tap into inner child sort of things. Cause I got started so young and entered this sort of professional world. So young while, and I, I'm so thankful. I learned from so many elder musicians. I was always the baby on stage, like, and but as the baby on stage, were there still women who wanted to fuck you? <laughs> there, there were some elder. Uh, you know, I was the jailbait. Yeah, uh, there were elder. I remember. Yeah, you know that happening and and being like, you know, this enticed and also like this is sort of you know this is strange or whatever. Um, so. Well, Manny, you, uh, you, you've <laughs> never seen Simon play. I was going to say, Manny, you've never seen Simon play, but just to describe it for you, he's he he has such a a, a, a happy like you you can't not look at him. He's got a big smile on his face. He's obviously having a ball. He's he's uh, he's has a very a real just. Um, uh, Is he having an erection while he's playing? I, you know, I've I never gotten so. that close to him. I've stood right next to him, but I've, I've never, <laughs> never put my hands on him like that to, to be able to tell. But uh, he's very compelling. Uh, <laughs> just even just listening and looking at him <laughs> without laying hands on. Now, well, some of these these uh, artistic concepts that you're you're talking about, I'm I'm wondering if your if your uh, your bachelor's degree in English literature informed this. Yeah. Informed your. Definitely. We'll talk about that. Yeah, I mean, well, the I the thing that brought me real together with uh was a class called criticism in in college and it's and it's like a class where you read 
Why do you need a class on criticism? I, I know. I fucking criticize so many people without right. having to take one. That's all we do all day. Classes. Yeah. Well, no, that was the beautiful thing is it, it was a step away from the constant judgment that humans are <laughs> attached to. And it was writers talking about their concepts, oh. um, what they were trying to do. So it would be, you know, you would read Samuel Taylor Coleridge, uh, you know, it's like their process and just to, you know, musicians can be so, um, overly poetic let's say like in trying to describe uh music overly critical of each other too right absolutely yeah well i think it turns into that because sometimes the only way to get the point across after enough like randomly flowery adjectives is just sort of some anger and some more of that energetic sort of thing that gets everybody uh working into the music but you know, this class sort of showed me how to hear writers speak about what they were trying to do, sort of bridge some of those gaps for me. And, and, you know, I'd love to see musicians communicate like a little, uh, maybe, I don't know, something more calm <laughs> sometimes, you know, well, like you know, I'm from Los Angeles, Simon and, and, yeah. and the Hollywood scene for a while there. And I, I knew a lot of big stars and stuff. Right, and what the w one thing I did find, I mean, there's a camaraderie, but everyone has such a fucking big ego. Yeah, they're willing to step on each other or at least critique each other uh, mm -hmm. so horribly in, in many ways. You know, yeah, um, you know, and it's very two faced. So I, I think the artist community, like musicians, actors, and artists and poets. Mm -hmm can be very two-faced and uh, absolutely you know I, I, and i find it's just better to be open and honest and that's why i really don't have many friends so <laughs> uh, a little too um, honest huh right yeah, right more honesty than they're prepared to hear right yeah because like you know after this show tonight simon i might not ever ever see you again or talk to you or, or meet you i have no idea <laughs> You don't know what comes. Uh, I'll go away knowing that uh, I never really liked you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, I love it. It's good to to know where you stand with Manny. Tangibility is, is right. Responsibility. Yeah. Right, right. There you go. <laughs> Now, Simon, so you've, you've played all over the world with all these bands. I mean, if I had to, to re read this list of people, Jesus, uh, it's, uh, well, I, r right up at the top of the list, I want to get back to that, but yeah. you have Cool Keith, uh, Pretty Lights, uh, Charlie Tuna, Lyrics Born. So Lyrics Born, um, that's a guy who... who does the hip hop thing with a live band? Were you were yeah. you in his were you in a live situation or recording with yeah. him? Yeah, we we were well, we did both actually. Uh, for uh, alongside some of the Galactic guys like uh, Rob Mercurio and uh, Jeff Rains, and and they have a little connection with him. So we did a couple shows, jazz fest shows, and we did some stuff in the studio. And and I, I love playing with with rappers. I grew up with that so much that genre and I, I love it right. do you know what a rapper's favorite candy is <laughs> m&m 
Oh, <laughs> Eminem, okay, what a guy. Yeah. What a guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, a hand, he's a handful. Um, Very. But, yeah. uh, and, and also, also DJ Logic. That's uh, another guy. In, oh, in, he's in your, super uh, fun. Yeah, man. We, we, the iguanas crossed paths with him uh, up in Calgary at the Calgary Folk Fest. And I don't know okay. how it was, but he, he walked straight up to me like we'd known each other all of our oh, lives. Wow. And he started talking to me. And so, yeah, cool DJ guy. Logic and the iguanas were, uh, were in fact, he, he wound up sitting in with us in, in one of our performances, the last one of the, the thing. So, oh, cool. yeah, what a, very, what a cool performer, man. The iguanas played a folk fest? Sure. We're kind of a folk <laughs> band, you know? Yeah, we're, uh, we're 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 folk band, yeah, in sort of sorts. Oh yeah, I, I guess. Because yeah. your audience is in the seventies, right? Well, you know, we have a, a wide wide variety of people at a wide range of people that come to see us, Manny, and and out on the road, you know. Um, Nels Klein is another guy I, I idolize, and, and yeah, that's, what did you do with Nels Klein? He's, we played. We played, he played the, um, with Todd Sikafus sometimes. Okay. Um, and he, Todd Sikafus is a bass player, uh, at the time, maybe still with, uh, Ani DeFranco. And we had sort yes. of like a searching sort of jazz group. Uh, it, you know, it reminded me of Fee to Kilimanjaro by Miles Davis and, and, um, mixed with some kind of you know pop sort of ideas and adam levy was was the guitarist also it was always double guitar which i thought was so cool and double drums right. and whoever nice. you know it would be sort of drums and percussion and just the two drummers switching off between being percussion or drum set allison miller she's she's a beast love her cool man but so yeah that, you yeah you've, you've you played all over the world uh, with all with all these groups. Um, yeah. Any any countries you particularly liked? I I mean I love all of Europe. I really love Spain, and I loved Prague. Prague is so beautiful. The old town. Yeah. Just so amazing to just see something that's so preserved and and gorgeous like that. And uh, yeah, Spain. They there's so much heart in Spain. The people are so sweet, and and I really love Japan. Because Japan, people were were so nice on this level that that made you play things you didn't know you could play, like or just something about hmm. the respect level there of your general. And the pay's better in Japan too, probably. Yeah, I mean they they're they pay well in Japan. Yeah, I mean I remember those gigs paying paying good and 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 just just sweet people and and when you see them listen to the music you know that they they change the things you can do you know it's not like an american audience i mean that changes what you can do too yeah because i remember like uh, uh being interviewed by a japanese journalist and they would pay me they wow. would for the interview okay interview that's amazing yeah. they would pay me the interview incredible well, a, a couple of, of, of guests that I, that are rather uh, uh, people that you've worked with, I, I want to touch on. And one of them, when I saw it, I remembered I actually saw you working with this person. And it was Joan Rivers, who I love. Man, that show was out of sight. So you backed up. So Joan, to quickly tell the story, um, Joan Rivers had a, an apartment in New York that 
she bought and it turned out to be haunted and it was haunted in a bad way that she couldn't stand to be there. And she'd looked around wow. for someone that could exercise the apartment and she found Sally Ann Glassman, voodoo priestess in new Orleans. Wow. So Sally Ann Glassman goes up and cleanses the apartment and takes care of the problem, becomes good friends with, with, uh, Joan rivers. Sally Ann Glassman is then getting married, uh, a, a year later and invites Joan and Joan says, well, what would you like as a, uh, a wedding present? She says, well, I'd like you to come do a performance at my space, the healing center as a fundraiser. So Joan Rivers came down oh, and wow. it was, it was one of the last performances, her last new Orleans performance. It must've been like yeah. within six months before she passed away and uh, you yeah. were in the band and I was and, in the audience cause I love Joan Rivers. Wow. Talk about, talk about being around Joan Rivers. She, I mean, she was, I mean, it was brief and it definitely was not a, like when I make a joke, you do a kind of situation. It was, it was more of a, we play, then she does a set and then we play and then she does a set sort of thing. And, and, right. um, didn't get a lot of interaction with her, but just the, I mean, her vibe on stage was, was raunchy and incredible and just unhinged and and that was that was a beautiful thing that was it was great man it's so hilarious I, I mean i don't it was so long ago i don't remember a lot of the jokes but she it was just just it was pure flowing. showbiz pure yeah, showbiz, you know no, yes yeah no fear it sounds to me like Sa sally knew that there was a sucker born every minute Come on. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I don't tend to believe in that kind of stuff, but, uh, yeah, you know, it sounds uh, like, uh, Joan was taken for a ride by this chick. Well, no, Joan said the, the Joan brought Joan sought her out. Uh, Sally Ann didn't, didn't, didn't wow, go find like Joan. Joan, Joan had, had the problem and Sally Ann was the solution. Born every minute, man. Well, I don't know who, who, who can say what, what goes on in the, in the shadows, uh, but so, like Joan had a lot of money to kill, so she was just spending her money. It's, it's all right. Anyway, it's a terrific, uh, and that had to be, uh, you know, a, a, a career highlight as far as like, you know, that that kind of old school showbiz uh, man contact. to feel. Yeah, to feel that was was something else for sure. It, very enriching. <laughs> Good nutrients there. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. Another name on the list is Sandra Bernhard. Another oh, yeah. favorite. What did you do with her? She, that was more about really working with her cause she's singing songs and she had a pianist, uh, Kaplan forget his Richard Kaplan. And, uh, Dr. Sick was on that gig too, a local, uh, violinist and guitarist and singer. And he's a, he's a real musical monster as well. Okay, uh, so that was in new we, Orleans. It was in New Orleans. Is that the um, uh, what's that? What's that little theater? It's on Canal. Um, small, kind of a smaller place. I saw John Waters there too, which, which was great. But okay. uh, maybe the Orpheum or, or kind of tinier place. Yeah. So good. <laughs> I hear a, a rooster. Um, no, the pussy cat. No, that was, uh, I don't think that was it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she she was really cool. Um, just you know we we played uh we had to rehearse with her so it was more a lot more interaction and uh you know it was one of the it was sort of different figuring out how to how to do those songs and and how to work it into the thing i remember her ending the show kind of abruptly i don't remember quite what that was about 
And, yeah. um, but she was really nice. You know, I remember her telling me, she's like, just play those drums. Don't give a fuck about nobody. And I was like, <laughs> that was like a really nice thing to hear, you know, cause, uh, it, it just was, <laughs> it was right. someone that heavy. Renee, you're a big fan of her. She was a friend of my family, Sandra Bernard. Really? I didn't know that, Manny. Yeah, when she moved to L.A. from wherever the fuck she was, she became a, a hairdresser, nail person. And my mom and my aunt used to go to the salon in the West, West L.A. area where my, uh, my aunt's brother-in-law was a flaming gay guy. He had the salon. And Sandra was one of his shampoo girls. Hmm. And my mom and my aunt used to go there and get their hair done and their nails done. And they became friends with Sandra Bernard. And she used to come over for uh, a family parties and Thanksgiving and, 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 wow. and Cinco de Mayo parties. And she was a hilarious. She was a hilarious person. And, uh, uh, uh and this is before, this is when she was just, you know, a shampoo girl and she was just starting out in the, wow. on the comedy strip, mm. you know, Sunset Strip. Right. So I, I knew Sandra when I was like 15, 16 years old. Wow. Very cool, Manny. It's, it's, it's all, it's, wow. it, it all comes back around. It's all connected. It's amazing how right? uh, the Troubled Men podcast, uh, you know, yeah. all <laughs> these, these disparate, uh, uh yeah. so cool ties and, it all up in a nice bow man and and, and yeah. uh, you know, the women at the salon used to say to her he was like you're so hilarious doing our nails go do stand-up and she took their advice and she oh, did wow. and amazing. she got discovered and you know madonna fucked her and roseanne fucked her and okay. and she's yeah. you know uh it's all good you know sure this sure she's cheap. in the classic uh, King of Comedy, which is, uh, you know, if she'd done. Yeah, she did King of Comedy. That was her best part ever. You know, it was yes. very good. Yeah. If, she, if she'd done nothing else, that would have been a career. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, so Simon, we're, we're, we're coming near the end of the podcast here, but tell us about these, these two records that you put out on your birthday. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, go over yeah, those briefly. They, the, well, the, the Diamond Kincaid was one where I just wanted to create sort of a three chapter sort of ambient album where the the uh, the first one is like acoustic piano with effects and, and the second one is synthesizer and the last one is rain and piano and just, you know, give people something relaxing to listen to. Definitely Eno influence. Do you sing on these? Records? No, no, I've got some coming up that I want to get more the singing thing going. And then the, the context killer one is more kind of a producer side. And I, you know, I hybridized my whole thing, which is trying to be a producer in the moment in the old school way where you play everything. I make all the loops. I do all the effects dubs. I do all the drumming and keyboard playing um, in the moment, you know, I don't have preset samples and things like that. Right. Uh, but I love DJs, so I wanted to emulate that. So that album is sort of a mix. Some tracks are just live cuts of me playing that way. And then other cuts are me cutting up performances and adding overdubs or layering and things like that. And, and using Ableton Live Instruments, which is a cool... Um, it's 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 a great way to just use the QWERTY keyboard as a keyboard because you have right. one octave and the... 
you know, the, uh, what is it? The W is your C sharp. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. You could do that in in logic as well. Yeah. 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 Do that in the van with my laptop. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's kind of a, I had a lot of fun using that sort of, uh, MO for, for overdubs. That was a cool, cool way to explore and just mix up the textures. You know, it, it made all the tracks sound like they were coming from different places, you know, not, not that sort of hybridized, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, homogenized uh, jazz mix sort of thing. But I want to make right. albums like that as well, and but sort of flip the script because they'll sound like produced overdub tracks, but they're just performances. So I'm always trying to play with that line of performance and production. And perception and, and, uh, and yeah. flipping perception. And, you know, I, yep. so... so Besides putting out these records, you you do uh, you've done a bunch of live streams uh, in in these two yeah. different uh, um, personas monikers, uh, yeah, uh, monikers, right, right, right. And, and one yeah. of them I saw was a Context Killer performance uh, live stream, mm-hmm. and you were just playing solo snare drum with effects. Oh yeah, yeah, and that that I was kind that of like a, man. It was oh, so thanks. trippy and trancy and and. Really yeah, that's cool, a fun man. way to do it. You know, just do, I call it kind of doing a noise set, even if it doesn't get super noisy, you know, I, ju- I sort of think of it in that zone because I don't really have to play the snare drum. I just let it feed back and, and I more twist the knobs and work with the feedback and, right. you know, trying, trying to, trying to have it not always be harsh, noisy, you know, like, like ambient noisy is kind of a cool little hybridized hybridization but I, I love really noisy stuff too well and and you were talking about eno and and that that whole oh, idea yeah. of of manipulating sound and texture and mood and 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 that things and that yeah and that music can be this sort of like an environment instead of like a close listening to lyrics and and uh production and you know that kind of thing you know you're you're li- you're not listening for a song you're li- it's just sort of something you put on like incense or something you know right right yeah nice yeah i love that that you know it's so great it got my mastering thing so together too just watching a documentary on him and and seeing his versatility you know as a songwriter too what a what a great guy i heard he was an asshole you know probably so at some point right Uh, you know he's he's probably uncompromising and prickly at at times you know but uh but uh gee whiz it's it's hard to argue with the the artistry and the yeah sometimes you gotta fight for it yeah the the whole thing is the idea of taste triumphing over craft you know because yeah i love that about him yes go ahead i just that that really inspired my whole it was sort of, it felt like retroactively, you know, compl- I was like, oh, that's kind of what I was doing when I first started. Cause I wasn't, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm more of a drummer, but I'm going to try and take this keyboard thing deeper. And, and that led to being like, oh, well, you should try singing. You should try, try playing some bass, try, you know, just try things like if it ends up just being noise, like, okay, but just getting to things just getting to it you start figuring the things out and and i think it's good to still try and learn those traditions even if you start with noise you know what i mean like guitar i've played a lot of noise guitar and now i'm starting to learn the basic chords and 
you know, you never know how you'll get there. It doesn't always have to be from playing the right way. You know, sometimes it's just picking up the thing and getting some noise out. It's kind of like Phil, it's kind of like Phil Spector, where it's murder triumphs over taste, right? Right. Well, exactly. You know, the thing about Phil Spector that the the the, the most outrageous thing is not that he killed someone; it's that it took him that long to shoot somebody. You know? Oh, yeah. What a story. No, but he he brutalized so many people over his career without shooting them. Right. Mm. No, it's uh, it's it, 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 he was on a, a dangerous trajectory long, long before <laughs> that that fateful night. But uh, man, you can't argue with the uh, with with the with the hits, you know. It's uh, people are. <laughs> well, know, some you, could, you could argue with the hits, like the people who he made the hits for. He he brutalized Ronnie Spector and stuff like that. You know, she talks yeah. about the book. So uh, yeah. it was way before he the murder. So you can't right. say that, man. Right. Well, you know, again, the the you know, you have to be able to separate the artwork from the the personality of the person creating it, or, or else it's, we're all sunk. yeah, yeah. It's it's often not the same. <laughs> all right. Whatever. Well. Uh, <laughs> Well, Simon, thank you so much for coming on the yeah, podcast, man. Thank you. It's 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 been a long time coming, and and uh, you know, you, 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 it's uh, it's it's great to to finally get you on. Yes, indeed. Good to good to talk to you guys. Thank you, Simon. Thank you. All right. Good night. As we like to say on the Troubled Men podcast, trouble never ends, uh, but the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. Thank you.